0: Well, thank you, Naomi. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. Um, Yeah, my name's Kevin and my wife Carrie over here and our three kids. Uh, We live in Nichols. Uh, We've been, we've lived in Nichols now six years. Prior to that, we spent a couple of years in Ethiopia and then we came from a place called America. It's anyway. But anyway, it's great to be with you today Today's message is going to be a continuation in the series Proverbs Making Space for Wisdom. And this morning, our focus will be practical wisdom for life, hospitality. And let me start with a word of prayer uh, before we jump into God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come and we can worship you freely. And Father, we we invite you to come and, and speak to us through your Word. Open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your Word. And may your Spirit lead us and guide us into truth. And Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as a child... Growing up, attending Sunday school, I learned the song, Count Your Blessings. I'm sure you remember the the chorus. Uh, Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. And I suspect that I'm not alone in this, but hospitality probably never crossed my mind when I sang that song. Uh, but as I've spent uh, time preparing for this message, and as I've looked back on the experiences of hospitality, I now rank hospitality way up there. And I count it as, you know, just a wonderful blessing. And so. If you don't already, I hope after this message, you too will count hospitality as a great blessing. And I hope that through uh, our acts of hospitality, others in our community, in our city, the nation, the world, may count hospitality a blessing too. So let's begin by looking at the verses that were read for us from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, the Lord, will repay him for his deed. Proverbs, of course, is filled with short, profound statements that offer wise principles for life. And straight away we see that being generous toward the poor is a wise principle to live by. It's wise because... God cares a great deal for the poor. That is a truth revealed throughout the Bible. And He closely identifies with them. It's also wise to be generous to the poor because God will repay the one who gives to the poor. For it says, the Lord will repay him for his deed. So God knows the love and sacrifice that is shown toward the poor. He sees the hospitality that is graciously provided, and he rewards the giver. Proverbs 31:20 says she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Much of Proverbs 31, of course, describes the noble woman or the excellent wife. And one of the qualities that makes for her excellence is her hospitality. Notice the word hand and hands in the verse. These are known as synecdoches. A synecdoche is a figure of speech where the term for a part of something refers to the whole of something. So in this verse, the noble woman's hands are said to be involved in hospitality to the poor. But her hands represent her whole self that she gives to serve the needs of the poor. In today's vernacular, we'd say she's all in when it comes to serving the poor. Then in Proverbs 9 verses one to five, we read this about lady wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Notice the length that Lady Wisdom goes to provide hospitality, right? Built her house, hewn her seven pillars Slaughtered her beasts, mixed her wine, set her table. Hospitality can be hard work. It involves a sacrifice of time, energy, and other resources. It is costly. And notice, too, that she wants to give to the poor as well. But it's the poor in knowledge and in wisdom. That's what it means to be simple and to lack sense. Again, it's worth noting poverty includes those who may lack in a variety of resources. It could be a lack of material resources, intellectual resources, emotional resources, spiritual resources, etc. So practical hospitality, therefore, sees people in whatever need and seeks to meet those needs. Well, these verses in Proverbs describe well for us the essence of hospitality. But when we come uh, across the term or the concept of hospitality, in the Bible, a definition may prove beneficial. The Lexham Bible Dictionary defines hospitality as the generous and gracious treatment of guests. That's helpful. Rosaria Butterfield, the author of the book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, with the subtitle, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World, defines hospitality simply as love of the stranger. And that's a good definition to have in mind as well. By the way, I found The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Butterfield, a great book. And I do recommend it. So these verses in Proverbs have just primed the pump for us as it relates to the blessing and the wisdom of practicing hospitality. But hospitality is richly represented throughout the Bible. So as we delve into God's Word today, we're going to see that it is a rich blessing. And it's wise for us to practice hospitality because, number one, it is modeled by God and His people. And number two it is mandated by God in his word. And three, it is motivated by God's sovereignty. And four, it is measured by God's omniscience. So first, hospitality is modeled by God. The Bible demonstrates that hospitality began with God. He is a hospitable God. Remember the definitions of hospitality? Well, God, from the beginning, has been generous and gracious and loving towards all of us. His guest creatures. Think with me how generously and graciously God provided for Adam and Eve. The creation of the sun, the moon, the stars, the vegetation, the animals, the seas, etc., was an incredibly generous provision for Adam and Eve. But God's provision continued for humanity even after Adam and Eve sinned and were banned from the Garden of Eden. Consider the account of Abraham in Genesis 22. God had called Abraham to go to Mount Moriah, and while there to offer up his son Isaac, as a sacrifice, however, it was only a test. God provided a substitute for Abraham. God stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son, and instead, God gave Abraham a ram, an adult male lamb, to sacrifice. That act is one of the most powerful displays of hospitality. And incidentally, Abraham aptly called that place, the Lord will provide. You may know it as Jehovah-Jireh, right? The Lord will provide. But then in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, we get a glimpse at God's ultimate provision of hospitality. The verse says that John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. And said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So I want you to consider with me that God's gift of sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world was the most supreme gift of hospitality ever. Think about it. God the Father graciously and generously sent His Son to us. Strangers who are born in sin and are at enmity with God. But God, in his love, sent his son to die for our sin. And Jesus wonderfully provides for us. That is, for those people who, by God's grace, turn from their sin and themselves and put their trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Jesus graciously provides righteousness in place of our sin. And Jesus forgives all of our sin, sheltering us from God's wrath. So through Jesus, we have provision and protection of the highest order. That's hospitality. But there's more. Because of Jesus, we have A bright future as we await his return. When he will bring us to that great feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. What a gracious and generous future of hospitality that our loving God has for us. So we have considered the supreme model of hospitality by God. And now let's look at the hospitality of God's people. There are many instances in the Bible where we see God's people being hospitable. But we will just look at a couple of instances. And by the way, to save time, I encourage you to write down these Bible references and look them up later, but I will read the passages for us. In Genesis 18, verses 3 to 8, we learn about an incredible encounter that Abraham had with three strangers who came to him. And here's what it says. Abraham said... To his three guests, O Lord, I have found favor in your sight. Do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Abraham knew that these three strangers were no ordinary guests. In fact, one of, the, one of them was the pre-incarnate Jesus and the other two were angels. But he offered them wonderful hospitality. He invited them to stay, to rest, and to enjoy a meal. And Abraham and Sarah were blessed by these guests as they gave them the promise that they would have a son in their ripe old age one year later. It's no wonder that the writer in Hebrews encourages Christians with these words. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. A second example of hospitality by God's people is found in the book of Acts. You may remember Paul and Silas were imprisoned when an earthquake struck. The Philippian jailer, fearfully thought his prisoners, whom he was responsible for, would escape. And he nearly committed suicide due to his dread. However, Paul and Silas assured the jailer that none of the prisoners had escaped. This led to an opportunity for the jailer to hear the gospel from Paul and Silas. And he believed. But notice the part hospitality played in this experience. I'm going to read it for us in Acts 16, 30 through 34. It says, Then the Philippian jailer brought Paul and Silas out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. He and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So Paul and Silas received provision of food. And they had their wounds washed by their former jailer. And amazingly, Paul and Silas were able to baptize him along with his whole household. But don't miss it, salvation came to the whole household in no small part because hospitality had been given. So it is wise for us to practice hospitality because it is modeled by God and his people. Next, we see that it is wise for us to practice hospitality because it is mandated, that is, it is commanded by God in the Bible. I will read a couple of passages again, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. First, in Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34, God's word says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God expects his people to treat strangers and sojourners like they are one of their own. That, of course, is precisely opposite of how the Israelites were treated in Egypt during the time of Moses. And God wants them to remember the poor treatment that they experienced in Egypt. And instead of treating the stranger horribly as they were, he wants them to be like him. He wants them to be hospitable, to be gracious, generous, and loving. This is still the standard for God's people. It's the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's been the expectation. That's been the command from the beginning. In the New Testament, the letter of Romans, chapter 12, verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Here we see that Christians are also commanded to show hospitality to other Christians, to one another in the family of God. But there's a tendency, especially in the West, to make our hospitality about entertainment and not genuine hospitality. So I want to draw your attention to some comments from Ed Stetzer, a Christian leader and author, in an article he wrote called The Power of Biblical Hospitality. In the article, Stetzer mentions four characteristics that distinguish biblical hospitality from mere entertainment. And I want to briefly share with you some of his insights. The first characteristics to help Distinguish biblical hospitality from mere entertainment is this. Entertainment impresses, hospitality blesses. In essence, it means don't make hospitality about you. That's really just entertainment. Make it about serving and ministering to the needs of the guests. That is what blesses others. Quickly moving on, the second characteristic is entertainment stresses, hospitality savers. If you're trying to impress others with an illusion of yourself or your family, it will just be stressful entertainment. If, however, you're trying to build up your guests, it will bring about relationships that savor. The third characteristic is entertainment babbles, hospitality Listens. Essentially, it means don't fill the time talking about yours or your kids' accomplishments and trophies. Focus on listening and finding ways to minister to your guests. So Obviously, hospitality can be a mutually ex- uh, encouraging experience, but it is important to evaluate your motives. The fourth characteristic, again, this comes from Ed Stetzer, is this. Entertainment excludes hospitality honors. This is about fulfilling the command to love the stranger by offering hospitality. If you are just bringing in people like you, more likely it's just entertainment and exclusionary. But giving hospitality to people who are not like you is fulfilling the command to love the stranger. So it's very clear. It's wise for us to practice hospitality because it's mandated by God in his word. Third reason reason why it is wise for us to practice hospitality is because it is motivated by God's sovereignty. What do I mean? There are several examples of God providentially blessing his people through the means of hospitality, and he has used the common grace of outsiders to do this. Let's just consider a couple of examples in the Bible. Again, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. I'm going to read 1 Kings 17, 8 through 16. It's a long passage, but it's worth it. It's powerful. It's in the context of a very severe famine. And God uses a woman outside of the people of God to meet the needs of the prophet Elijah. So hear these words. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives... I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son." For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Powerful display of hospitality. The widow of Zarephath was extremely hospitable to the prophet uh, Elijah. She barely had anything, right? Only a handful of flour and a little oil. That was it. But God richly blessed Elijah through her act of generous and gracious hospitality and God multiplied blessings upon her and her household for doing so. Let's take an example from the book of Acts. Acts 28, verses 1 and 2, says this. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. After being shipwrecked near the island of Malta, the Apostle Paul, and the rest of his shipmates, including Luke, the author of the book of Acts, were shown great kindness and hospitality by the island residents. This passage, along with the Old Testament passage, are both examples of hospitality from people outside of the community of God. That's God's sovereignty working through common grace. God sovereignly works in and through such occasions to bless his people. And without doubt, one of the reasons these examples are in God's word is to help us see God's sovereignty working in our lives and to appreciate the hospitality that is given to us from folks outside of the community of God. Carrie and I and our family have been blessed with hospitality on many occasions by folks in our community who are not Christians. They have brought us meals, they have invited us into their homes, they have helped watch our children, and so on. Carrie reminded me this just this morning. Um, we work with a lot of Somalis, and the word for welcome is "sodowo," wo And it means welcome, but it means come close. And that's how they've treated us. God sovereignly working uh, through common grace. Again, it's wise for us to practice hospitality, because it is motivated by God's sovereignty. A fourth reason, and final reason, it is wise for us to practice hospitality is because it is measured by God's omniscience. That is, God will reward our acts of hospitality because He's all-knowing. God sees and knows all things about us, including our hospitable treatment, of others. The following verses demonstrate this. In Luke 6, verse 38, Jesus says this, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Think with me for a moment about how God can pour blessing in our laps in the context of hospitality. So he can certainly reward our acts of hospitality in whatever way he sees fit. But let's consider the example of spiritual gifts. The Bible teaches that all of God's people possess at least one spiritual gift in order to serve the body of Christ. In the context of hospitality, whether we are the host or we are the guest, there is the potential for mutual blessing from spiritual gifts. For example, you might invite someone for coffee with the intent of blessing them and encouraging them, right? And you do encourage them. But you may be rewarded with a particular insight for a life issue you are dealing with, all because the person you invited for coffee has a gift of discernment. This is just one small example of many that can happen. Here's the point. The spiritual gifts of Christians can be powerfully displayed and rewarded in the context of hospitality. Also, think about the one another's we're called to do in the family of God. As Christians, we're called to love one another, spur one another on, bear with one another, pray for one another, confess our sins to one another, and so on experiencing the one another's is a mutually beneficial reward and it can powerfully work in the context of hospitality. I can attest and I'm sure you can too. How about giving hospitality to the stranger or those in poverty? What reward is possible? Truth be told there may not be an observable reward, at least right away, but Rosaria Butterfield in her book The Gospel Comes with a House Key says that hospitality provides the opportunity for the stranger to become your neighbor and your neighbor to become a part of the family of God. God may use your hospitality for the stranger to become a neighbor, that is, an acquaintance or even a friend, and for that neighbor to become a Christian as you share Christ with them and they turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus. That! is an amazing reward. Jesus has more uh, words about reward uh, from Matthew 25 verses 34 to 36. Jesus says this, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you in the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me." God measures our acts of hospitality and He rewards His people with an eternity spent with Him. Again, it is wise for us to practice hospitality because it is modeled by God and His people, it's mandated by God in His Word. It's motivated by God's sovereignty because it's measured by God's omniscience. So let's graciously, generously practice hospitality. We will count it a blessing. And those we offer hospitality to will count it a blessing as well. And together, we will see and celebrate all that God has done. Amen.